Hello, and welcome to Bobby and Yen's presented by Zwift. One thing I'm thankful for is still being able to train with friends on Zwift any time of the day. Being motivated by the massive community means there's always someone to ride with and new locations to explore. Like the new Japanese-inspired Makuri Islands and my personal favorite route, the Mega Pretzel on Watopia. Riding with friends makes the training easier and they always know how to push me. Visit Zwift.com and I'll see you on there soon. Ride on. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Bobby and Jens. My name is Bobby Julik, and my friend, brother from another mother, the Berliner, Jens Vogt. Hey, Jens, did you know that we had a podcast today? Uh, you, you were a little late. Uh, tell our listeners what, what went on there. Well, um, I was kind of like almost ready, and then my daughter went... Uh, yeah, um, Dad, uh, can you drive me to uh, the train station? I'm like, um, well, it's dark and cold, and I don't want her to like uh, run around alone by herself. And so I figured, yeah, I do it. And then while she asked me, um, my mind went blank, and I completely uh, forgot. There's no other words. I completely forgot that I actually was supposed to be here on the podcast. We just is such a such a good dad. I mean, what what dad wouldn't just drop the podcast to uh, to go and take his daughter to the train station? You're a good man, Yanzi. Well, I am officially old, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this weekend, I had my birthday. Actually, it was Thursday, but it turned into a, a long weekend. I got to go down to Miami and did the Best Buddies ride. And to those of you who don't know... Best Buddies is an organization started started by Anthony Shriver Kennedy, which creates opportunities for one-to-one relationships, integrated employment, uh, leadership development, and inclusive living for individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So it was an absolute honor to, to do something like that again. I've been to quite a few of those rides, but... Um, it was it was great, and I want to thank everyone that made that weekend special. You know who you are. Um, got a lot of phone calls, text messages, social media messages, but I guess I should thank my mom and my dad first and foremost because um, yeah, if they decided to not get together, I wouldn't be here. But uh, we have another great show. Um, we thought about it, and it's pretty cool to have the youngest guest ever on Bobby and Jens. And the cool thing is he had kind of a similar introduction into the sport of cycling as, as I had. Uh, we had a great talk with him. He is a huge talent from the US of A. He's only 19 years old. You know what? Let's just hear it from his own lips. Everyone, Magnus Sheffield. Okay, as promised, our young gun, Mr. Magnus Sheffield. Magnus, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks, Bobby. Man, you know, 19 years old. Yenzi, do you even remember being 19? I mean, um, I just turned 50, so um, 
I don't think I do. I can only remember because it was the year the wall came down and uh, the country got reunited. So that's why I remember it because of a wild period, you know, when two countries come back together, like a peaceful revolution in East Germany. Um, and we don't know if we're going to be kind of like a colony of Western Germany or if we're going to be an entire new country. So... That's why I remembered. Otherwise, you are correct. That is more than half of my life ago, and I wouldn't remember otherwise. Enjoy those days, Magnus. But um, I think I'm pretty sure, actually positive, that you're the youngest guest we've ever had on our show. So um, I understand that you were an alpine skier before you got into cycling. So tell us a little bit about your your early, well, Gosh, that would be really early. Just your early days of, of ski racing and then how you got on the bike. Yeah, no, thank you guys for having me on the show. Um, I grew up in Pittsburgh, New York and upstate, uh, Western New York. I was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and then my family moved to Western New York when I was about one or two years old. And then my mom is from Norway, so it comes naturally that I was born with skis uh, practically and As soon as I could walk, I began ski skiing and then later ski racing was kind of the natural progression. Uh, where we live in New York, it's more kind of um, tilted towards alpine skiing. Um, there is some cross-country skiing here, but my mom grew up ski racing uh, Nordic. But then just based on the geography here, I skied alpine and uh, I can't I can't skate and ski uh, classic, but my cake is not very good. Um, and so, yeah, I started when I was two and then I slowly got into racing at just like the local club here when I was, I think like seven or eight. I think my parents actually might have lied about my age so I could get into like the race program early. Uh, but then once I was 14, that's when I kind of knew that I want to try take it a bit more seriously. And then my parents actually sent me away to a ski program so I could ski um, throughout the winter. And I was up in Lake Placid. And so then I went to a ski program up there for about a year or two. Uh, and that was in connection with the Olympic Training Center through a program called NICEF. And then I went to a full full-time ski school um, called Northwood. And I did that a year. My fresh sophomore year of high school. Um, but then after that, that's when I joined uh, a team called Hot Tubes uh, Development Team. And that's based out of New England. And that's when I made the switch over uh, to cycling full time. Uh, but then if I go back, um, I actually started kind of, I also had a mountain bike um, from an early age. And then it was just kind of something I did for fun. Um, like I always had ridden a bike, but I never took it very seriously. And then I don't know what it was, but my friend, his dad owned a bike shop and he kind of invited me to the mountain bike race. And so then I started doing that. And then there's also a big cycle cross race here. And those were kind of like the early, how I got into bicycle racing. Um, and then I didn't really take it super seriously uh, until I joined the hot tubes team. And that's when Uh, Toby Stanton, who runs it, he kind of gave me two options. He said, listen, you can either continue ski racing and 
and also bike, but you probably won't be good at either, or you can choose one and you can actually uh, make a career out of it. Wow. So what level did you get into in skiing? Because I remember I, I had a very similar story. Mm-hmm. You know, you start off as J5, J4, J3. Um, what, what, when did you stop? How old were you? Was that already J2 or was that still J3? No, so it's funny you say the J because the J system they actually got rid of uh, when I was like a J4 or 5. So that shows how <laughs> old you are, Bobby. Uh, <laughs> but I think I was like a J... It would have been my first year, first year J3 uh, is when I stopped. So my, uh, once I went to like the equivalent of like UCI racing or fist racing, that's right when I stopped. So I never raced internationally. It was just mostly in the Northeast. um, And I could have continued, like the option was still there to continue ski racing, but just like kind of person that I am, like, I I don't want to do it just like, half kind of like half ass like i want to do it full on and so that was something um it didn't really interest me uh to try to do both at the hot at the same level um and so that's why i just chose ski uh cycling and i took that so when you started with cycling um since i do not have a skiing background i would think you would struggle with the endurance part of it wouldn't you i mean Like your ski races, a minute, two minutes, three minutes, very intense, Mm -hmm. fast and dangerous, but it's not exactly endurance sport, isn't it? So how did you build up your endurance to survive a race of an hour or two hours or 50, 60, 70 miles? How how did that happen? I mean, so I also like at the same time, like ski racing was like the primary sport I grew up with. That was like what I loved and enjoyed the most, but I also played soccer I swam in high school. I played baseball. I was a really athletic kid. Um, and both my, neither of my parents were professional, but they were both very athletic. And that was something that they passed down. And it was a big value and importance to not just me, but also my siblings, my older brother and sister. Uh, I'm the youngest in the family. So I just kind of followed behind them. And so, yeah, I don't know. Like I would say I did struggle in the beginning, like with the endurance because the longest, like one of my first bike races I did was the tour of Southern Highlands when I was 15 or 16. And it was like 75 miles. So a little over a hundred K and it was the longest I'd ever ridden in my life. <laughs> and so like, I didn't really think, know like what to think much of it, but, uh, I think the endurance part actually comes quite naturally. Um, and so like I did struggle, but I think, I don't know. I just, (laughs) I was able to get through because, uh, the most, I think it was just like the natural, um, competitiveness in me that I didn't really care if like I struggled, I just want to cross the finish line first. Yeah. And you had great support. Like you already mentioned it with Toby there at hot tubes. Um, you know, they have quite the pedigree. So, uh, you were, you were in good hands there, but, um, so let's, Fast forward to 2019, 2020. I mean, you were a whopping, what, 16 years old, um, 17 years old. You know, we all saw you and Quinn Simmons crush the competition at the Worlds there up in uh, Harrogate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, it is what it is. You know, junior racing, you guys crushed it. But then you had one more year left as a junior, and there's something called the pandemic hit. Um that that obviously sucked 
for you know ha- not being able to race your you know kind of like your whole final year as a as a junior but you know you you picked up a extracurricular project which was going for the junior world record pursuit record the 3k record um tell us a little bit about i i, I don't want to geek out too much on numbers and whatnot but i mean you did what 530 watts is reported you set a new record uh down to 306 45 or something but um, tell us what that was like, trying to race, ride your bike, motivate yourself during the pandemic. I mean, it seemed like there wasn't much going on, but you found a way to get fit enough to set a world record by, what was it, eight seconds or nine seconds? Yeah, so uh, the beginning of the year, I'd raced a full season of cyclocross, and then I came back to the States uh, in February, and then I went pretty much right into my first um road camp with hot tubes and that was supposed to be my final uh year as a junior and so i was i had a lot of and it was also after i had podium at junior world so i had a lot of motivation um going into my final year as a junior and there was also like i had great support from hot tubes and then also the national team and so they had invested a lot for the upcoming season and then uh, we had actually started racing in Arizona in February, and then we also did a race at the like the first week of March uh, in Georgia, and so I kicked off those two races very well. Like I won the first one, and then um, I was third GC on that second one, and so I had really good fitness early on from the cross season. But then obviously COVID happened, and so everything at first was kind of strange. Like we weren't quite sure what was going to happen. Um, I went back home to New York and, um, I was still just riding is more just kind of for fun because I was really optimistic in that, uh, the season was going to continue. Uh, I had no idea how long things were going to be delayed for. And so I really just stayed super motivated. I was still training. Um, uh, looking back now, I probably could have had more fun and like, I don't know, done a bit more things off the bike, like do some more hiking, but also it was a bit strange. Like we didn't know exactly how severe COVID was. So everyone was even afraid just to go outside without a mask. So, uh, yeah. And then it kind of, that lasted for a few months and then things slowly started to get better. And then worlds, junior worlds in Switzerland still looked hopeful, uh, in vote, but Unfortunately, I think it wasn't until like mid to late August that they actually said no more. Uh, it's not going to happen. And that was like a that was pretty devastating. And that was a big blow because I had stayed so optimistic. Um, I don't like I was just lying to myself in that like I didn't think that it couldn't happen. Um, but in the back of my mind, like. Uh, it was just something like I thought about other things I could possibly do in case Worlds was going to be canceled. And it was kind of something that just like was said, but I didn't really think much about it was to try to break the junior record in the um, individual pursuit. Uh, and that was when like I started to kind of think about it more thoroughly. And then, yeah, Worlds was canceled. So then I just kind of devised this uh, master plan of like, okay, if I were to do this, like, I like to, I'm very thorough on that. Like I like plans and I like making a procedure and then trying to follow up through it. And I'm very detail oriented in that sense. So that's exactly what I did. Uh, and so I flew to Colorado Springs. I was there for, 
I flew there at like the end of August, I want to say, uh, if not early September. And I was there for three and a half months. And that was not expected. Um, wow. I had no idea that was going to happen. Uh, I was thinking I was going to fly there. I was going to break it within three weeks and that'd be back home. And I was going to call it a successful season. Uh, but it took three months. Uh, not <laughs> just because of trying to, the logistics of organizing such an event was a lot more difficult than I expected. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to have an amazing support crew around me uh, with the um, U.S. Olympic Center. Uh, and then also the coaching staff, Gary Sutton, USA Cycling, uh, my own coaches and hot tubes supporting me pretty much the whole time. And it was definitely a big relief because I have, I almost, yeah, I did feel like there was quite a bit of pressure um, because I had done all these months of preparation. There was a lot of money that was put into it um, for me to actually try break it. And so once I knew, because we did a trial run, uh, kind of like what Dowsett did in the hour record the day before I did a few weeks before just to, uh, make sure I was well rested, but, uh, it was just to make sure everything was going to go smoothly. And I ended up breaking the record there by uh, quite a few seconds. And so then I had a lot of confidence for when I did the record, but obviously it's always different on the day. So that would have been my next question. Did you had a dry run before to make sure you know roughly mm -hmm. where you're going to go? So, yep, good decision. Well done. And yeah. just for me as, uh, um, as a fan, so to speak, what gears mm -hmm. did you use? What was the chain ring is sprocket? Well, what was the gears you used? <laughs> yeah, so I'm pretty sure I used a 58 or a 6016. It's actually not as big of a gear as you think because it is only 3K. You have a K less to speed up than the 4K. Um, and that was something that I went back and forth on. I think if I were to do it again, I would have used a bigger gear. Um, but, however, the track I was at was also quite slow. So I think if I was at like a wood track, a 250, I definitely would have wanted a bigger gear um, because I would have been going way too fast. If you want to get more out of your free time, Sign up to Outside Plus for less than a dollar a week. You can get a hard copy of Valley News magazine, choose two books a year from VeloPress, access all the premium content from the whole Outside family, including Yoga Journal, Peloton Magazine, and Backpacker. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events, as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value every year in one $99 subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com slash outside plus and enter Bobby Jens 25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout, you'll receive our special 25% discount and you make a good deal great. And now back to our chat with Magnus. So you go from third in the junior world's men's road race to mm -hmm. breaking the world record for juniors. Mm -hmm. Last year, you signed for, for rally. Um, but the real thing I want to talk about is that you've just recently inked a three-year deal with, with Team Ineos. Um, 
how did that come about? Because I mean, just a, less than a year ago, or a little over a year ago, you were a junior, and now you're on the best team of the world. So tell me how things like that worked out for you, because it sounds like a dream scenario. Uh, no, you hit that spot on. It is a dream scenario. Uh, so after Yorkshire, uh, one of the coaches had reached out to Toby, and they just wanted to kind of get in touch and kind of see, see who exactly I was, because I was just this first-year junior. Uh, no one had really heard of me. Uh, I had done some racing in Europe, but I was pretty unknown and I wasn't heavily favored going into the race. Quinn was. And so they, a lot of people were quite surprised when they saw me get third. And so they were very interested and they just wanted to kind of uh, get in touch with me uh, to see who I was and try to get to know me better. Uh, and then after after that, there, wa there wasn't an opportunity for me to join the team. Uh, however, they did help me. Uh, they supplied me with a Pinarello that I used for the junior uh, record uh, because they, that was kind of a, they wanted to see how they could help me in any way. And I said, well, I could really use a bike. That'd be super helpful uh, because Filippo had used, used it because I knew it was super fast. And so um he had break he had broken quite a few records with it and so i knew that was the bike i want to use and then yeah i signed for rally uh i signed a two-year deal and then uh i left the team uh in august of this past year uh and i'm really thankful for the opportunity that he gave me uh unfortunately i can't talk much further than that uh regarding the team but um, the best part was, uh, I was able to sign a contract with, uh, Ineos for the next three years. And that's pretty much been the, uh, dream team of, uh, since I was uh, growing up, since I had just gotten into cycling and even before I, I was racing, um, that was like the team I always want to be a part of. And I believe the way team Ineos is uh, structured you would fit right in. I mean, if you just you just told us you like to make plans and you know and uh, planning ahead, you fit right in there. You mentioned the name of uh, Filippo uh, Ganna. Would he be your role model? Model? Would you like to continue a little bit longer like him? Like have a bit of freedom to go back on the track? Maybe one day win an Olympic medal on the track, or you go nah, forget about the track. I'm all in on the road. Yeah, um, the track is something I'm still very interested in. Uh, I don't just want, like, most people start in the mass start races. I started in the pursuit, which is quite unusual. But uh, a big goal of mine is Paris in 2024, and it is only three years away. Uh, and that was also partly why I want to join this team is because there's a lot of uh, my new teammates. Like, you have Ethan, Filippo, Plapp, uh, Viviani, for example. Like, these are all guys that want to race and even Ethan. Um, these are all guys that also race on the track and it is something that I do want to uh, pursue. Uh, it isn't like, that isn't like the top of priority in my, in my career as a whole, but uh, like when I think five, 10 years from now, uh, because I am still quite young, but uh, the track is something I think is definitely, I can learn a lot from it and it can help uh, my career quite a bit. 
Well, yeah, you're getting into a, a very regimented team. I mean, in a good way. And sounding like you like plans and organization, like Yen said, I think uh, I think you'll fit in, you know, really good. It took me a little longer to get used to signing my emails cheers, but um, <laughs> instead of thank you very much, now it's cheers, and I actually feel pretty comfortable with that. But so just today, I was talking with a uh, a great friend of mine, a very wise man, and he said the definition of high performance is performing under high pressure. Mm -hmm. Is this going to be an issue or are you confident that you will be allowed time to grow both by the team, but especially yourself? Yeah. I think if you most, if you ask most people, like the most pressure they feel is from in it's, it's internal more than external. And so I think it's always like a, find balance between like how much you hear, like how much you allow to hear that inner voice versus the outer and uh, the pressure that you feel from it. And so like my first year, uh, there isn't going to be a lot of the, the external pressure, but of course, like there's a lot of internal pressure that I, that one feels like you want to be able to prove yourself that you're worthy and you're good enough. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's finding that fine balance because I don't think having no pressure is good either. Uh, but obviously having too much is, yeah, that's not good either. And so it's all about finding that fine balance between the two. Uh, and so I do feel like I am a person that I can't, like I'm comfortable with um, performing at at a high level with pressure on me. Um I definitely think I feel more internal pressure than external most of the times, but uh, it's something I feel quite comfortable and confident in. So um, now that we're already talking about pressure, are you curious or you feel the pressure for the first time you will ride the four kilometer, not the three, but the four kilometer? And did you ever extrapolate like your time you did what would that have mm -hmm. been in the 4k where would you position yourself yeah. say hey if i'm in good shape i could do a 415 419 411 whatever <laughs> did you ever did you ever thought about did you ever thought that far how, how do you feel about that yeah, yeah i mean yeah. a lot of people I, gonna watch you of course like I, i would say like how could you not uh of course i did that um i mean I thought even my time, like, what would it be at, like Aguas Calientes, like a faster track if I had different wheels, different tires, different pressure, all these different things. And you always kind of second, it's not second guessing, but as a cyclist, especially, I think you're always rethinking and kind of uh, predicting, um, looking on those things. And I think if I did a 4K, like when I was in that 3K and I had done all that training, all that uh, conditioning, I think I probably could have thrown down like a 406, um, which is quite fast, uh, considering like, I mean, <laughs> Ashton just went under four, which is ridiculous. Uh, but that track was extremely fast. His setup was quite quick. Uh, and so the, the bar is set extremely high, but if you look at the, like the past five years, uh, the times have just dramatically come down. Like it used to be a guy's doing a sub four ten. That was like very, very well done. Um, 
But yeah, I think I could see myself doing a 405 pretty confidently. Uh, but yeah, this the bar has been raised even higher now. So uh, I think I really should be trying to be shooting for like under a 402. Uh, so yeah, it just seems like not too long ago, um, team pursuit. Yeah, like, that oh, too. You know, four four minutes. Now, what are they down at? Like three forty two or something like that. Oh, Maybe the team faster. The the men's team pursuit is even more ridiculous. Like the speeds that they're going, and, but it's also just like the the technology and the equipment has become so advanced. Um, I wouldn't be surprised in the next five years it'll be a four thirty, or yeah, a three thirty. I mean, a three thirty. My goodness. <laughs> But, okay, you're going to be in a lot of track infields. You're going to be on a lot of team buses. You're going to be at a lot of altitude camps, training camps. Mm -hmm. You know, you're 19 years old. You can't be thinking biking all the time. Yeah. Um, What will you have in your suitcase to occupy yourself during that recovery or downtime that you're going to have as a professional cyclist? What What are your hobbies? What are your interests yeah uh i would say i love photography i like taking pictures uh i'm not i'm not a gamer so like i wouldn't bring an xbox that's like a common thing most guys bring like xbox or playstation it was just that's not something i really ever found interesting um maybe a soccer ball uh or a a football (laughs) as my teammates will probably call it uh yeah probably a camera honestly so now that we talked about the suitcase, my question is, where will you put that suitcase down? What country, <laughs> what city, what region you going to choose for your, your European home? Any mm-hmm. plans no. yet you want to share with us? Yeah, so I plan on going over to Europe November 30th, and I'll go to Andorra to start looking at places and setting up, uh, looking for places I can put down my suitcase, like you said. Uh I was in Girona this past year and I like Girona and there's a lot of American cyclists, a lot of um, Australian Kiwis, a lot of Brits. Um, it's a very common place for English speakers to go. Uh, but I think Andorra uh, will feel a bit more like home uh, being up in the mountains. And I feel like I'll have a lot more freedom up there. And I'm someone that, yeah, I like to have the social aspect, but I also don't mind being by myself. So I think it might be a bit better in that sense as well. Um, and I also hope to bring my skis so I can also go for a ski as well. Yeah, why not? I mean, um, you got to find that place. You got to make Europe your home. You got to be comfortable enough. If it's an mm-hmm. apartment or if it's a house, I think that's that was my trick. I, you know, Especially when I had my family, I couldn't have done it you know, just living on somebody's couch or just checking into a training camp and then doing a couple races and then going home. But, uh, man, I tell you for 19 years old, you sound like you got it pretty, pretty dialed and, and you'll, you'll see, you'll have great, great, great support on that team. Um, so let's talk about next year. What would be your kind of like dream race schedule for next year? I mean, what kind of rider are you? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, to be honest, I, uh, yeah, I don't exactly fully know. I really just like the hard races, honestly. Like anything that's just brutally hard. Um, 
I'm not. The one thing I will say is like I don't love the long climbs, like things that are. I'm not a big fan of like the over twenty minutes because that's when I, because I'm a bigger guy, I start. That's where I struggle the most. Um, but I would say like I'd want to be able to do like the one day races, especially early on, and then um, also do some of the shorter week long races. But I also see myself also being a good time trialist. Um, and I think I am, I can excel in those races as well. So I kind of see myself as an all arounder, honestly, but I could see myself specializing in the one days and the shorter week long races as my career progresses. That seems like a sensible decision to, to look at it that way, because with your time trial, if you keep that strong, you know, mm -hmm. you just have to hang on to the others. Then you kill him in the TT and you go, yep, thanks for coming. That's a good plan. <laughs> you stick to that. And then I guess once the year evolves, you will learn. Yeah. You will go, oh, I'm actually a lot better than I thought at this. Or maybe, oh, I thought I would be a better sprinter, but no, maybe I'm not. You know, yeah. so you will develop and uh, it will come. But like Bobby said, you seem to have a pretty good plan for a 19-year-old kid. Or in other words, I wish some of my kids would have a plan like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, like, I think I'm not like a field sprinter. Um, I'm not, not a climber, but I just see myself as a really, like, I, I'm pretty punchy. Uh, but then I can also um, go from pretty far out. So, like, I, my dream, the, like, like most of the people, the dream way to win a race is from far out solo with your hands in the air, but, um, yeah, I have a lot of trust in the team. So I think that they'll be able to help me, uh, figure things out for the next year and so forth. Well, you have a bright future young man and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much for coming on our show, you know, breathing a little bit of youth, And, and and energy into this old man group um, was, was a great talk. Thank you very much and all the best for next year. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Well, that's all of the time we have for this week. Huge thanks to Magnus for being our guest and happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thanks for listening and please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a VeloNews production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was again edited by Tim Mosa. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. Before we go, a quick word from our sponsor Zwift. One of the most fun parts about cycling is climbing. So why not try Garrett Thomas's athlete workout, Fun is Flying Uphill. A great pillar of any climber is muscular endurance. And believe me when I say, that's what you'll get. Testing yourself on training plans alongside world-class cyclists is what makes Zwift so exciting. I can't wait to show my friends the fitness I built at home. All you need is a bike, trainer, and the Zwift app. Visit Zwift.com and I'll see you on there soon. Ride on.